Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Right. How's everybody doing? Blessed? Blessed even when you don't realize it, right? Very often the enemy wants us to just see the negative things in life. And he doesn't, you know, what did, what did mom always say? You better count your blessings, right? And it seems like as time progresses, there's more to be thankful for. And I don't know if it's because we start realizing that time is so short and therefore we have to be focused on those things that are most important. And uh, one thing I'm learning, the older I get, the more and more I realize how fragile life is. Now, I'm not saying that to, to cause fear or whatever, but I, I, want, I do want to encourage you that, man, live every day as if it was your last. Don't say, oh, well, I'll do that later, right? We, we do that in, in everything, you know, but the things that we desire in our heart to do, the, the courageous maybe lifestyle of living for God, you know, well, I'll do it when this happens. I'll do it when this moment happens. But what if today is the only day you had? Would that change the perspective just a little bit? Absolutely. Right? You know, I mean, I don't know if it was my last day. I mean, I, I pray to God my motive would be right and I'd be here preaching to you this Sunday, but maybe I would be, let me go see Niagara Falls. I've never seen it. I don't know. Like, what, what, what would we be doing? I think we need to evaluate that. But I think ideally what God wants is us being every single day intentional with everything that he has for us on a daily basis. When we wake up before our feet hit the ground, we ask that question, say, God, what am I to do today? Who am I to call? What am I, you know, you know, a lot of times our jobs or our, uh, our schedule dictates what we do, right? You know, you got to get up, you got to eat breakfast, you got to brush your teeth, all the, all the regular routine things, and then you got to go to work or whatever it is that usually dictates. But what happens on those, those not as often days where we have no plans? What do we do? Do we spend time with family? Do we sleep in all day? Do we never get out of our PJs? What do we do when, when, when that opportunity? I'm not saying don't rest. I'm not saying don't take a break every now and then. But what do we do in those moments where life is not demanding and the option is up to us to do whatever we wanted? Right? Because we dictate our lifestyle more than we know. You know, you, know, you don't like something about your life? Change it. Well, I just got to do this and this. Well, I mean, like some stuff you have to do, right? But if you are fully fed up with your job and maybe that's not what God has for you, look for another job. Don't just stay comfortable because it's what you've always done. Well, I don't, getting another job scares me. Well, yeah, it's change. It's something different in your life. But in our life, the results that we get tend to be because of what we do on a daily basis. It just doesn't happen overnight. You want to change long-term goals, you want to change long-term habits, you do it a day at a time. You figure out and you evaluate, what am I doing today to affect the future of what I want to accomplish in my life? Amen? That has nothing to do with my message, but I think somebody might need to hear that. Like, man, it's going to be a good word. That's not the word for today. That's a freebie nugget. So uh, last week we talked about the power of God and, and I was praying this week. I said, God, what is something else that you really want to show us? And uh, I, I came across the, the idea of realizing the power of the gospel, 
okay? And I know the word gospel sometimes, you know, when we think about that word, one of the first questions I have for you is, you know, well, what, have you ever asked, what is the gospel? I mean, we hear it all the time, hey, share the gospel, hey, we should share the gospel with one another, and then you kind of stop and you're like, what the heck really is the gospel? What am I supposed to share? What am I not supposed to share? What is the focus? What is not the focus? You know, so my wheels started turning. I was like, man, that is a good question. And as a pastor of a church, I better figure that out. Exactly what does sharing the gospel mean? So as I was looking at that, I said, man, if it's beneficial for me to really look at and and look at scripture and say, what is the gospel, the the meaning of the gospel, and what does the gospel have the potential to do, that I think it's also beneficial for all of us to have that understanding also. How many of you are super clear when I say the gospel, you know exactly what that is? Very few, so all of the rest of you don't know what the gospel is, or you just were scared to raise your hand? So what I'm saying, if I told you to come right now and said, hey, share the gospel, do you know what you would say? Yes or no? I think some of us yes, some of us no, but I wanna, I wanna challenge this this morning because one of the things that I was realizing as we talk about sharing the gospel, the gospel is always more us-centered than God-centered. When you think about salvation experience or you think about coming to the knowledge of knowing who the Lord is, what is the first motive that drives us maybe to the cross or drives us to a place of receiving the gospel? What is in it for who? For me. That's, that's sometimes a big motive, right? We're like, well, what, well and, and what do we tend to do also? We say, oh, well, the Lord can forgive you. You know, he can change your circumstance. So we are still cultivating a gospel that is man-centered rather than God-focused. And that's what I want to challenge us with. The power of the gospel is only powerful when the focus is God and not man. Like, man, this is getting deeper. I thought this was just going to be a fun gospel message. It is, but we need to make sure that we are presenting a true, powerful gospel that works effective like God intended it to work. And we don't water it down because if we teach people that the gospel is all about what I want and what I need and meeting my personal needs, guess what? That's going to be my perspective of God and I'm going to live like that the rest of my life and the enemy is going to use that to his advantage and I'm never going to do anything for anybody besides myself. The gospel comes out of a personal motive rather than a personal motive of who God is. So let's look at this passage, Romans 1, 16 through 17. And you guys have probably heard this passage. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And this is what it says. Why? Okay. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 17, it says, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So it talks about the power of God for salvation. The power of God has to be released and has to be the focus of everything for the power of salvation to happen. An understanding of who God is, of what he's accomplished, that he has to be the centerpiece of all of it. If there's no father, there's no son. If there's no father, there's no son, there's no Holy Spirit. It discombobbles everything. But if we throw that out of the picture and we just say, hey, what's in it for me? What we are doing is pursuing the hands and the gifts of God and not the heart of God. 
And that's something we need to realign, that it's not about what God can do for me. It is the focus of who God is. And that is the power of God, which is released through a salvation experience. When we tell the story of how awesome God is and what he's done, his redemptive story unto salvation, that is when the power of God is released for the salvation of everyone and is conditional of those who believe. There's always a conditional factor, but we still need to make sure that we are not ashamed of this gospel, that we preach this gospel, and we know what this gospel is. Mark 16, 15. In the New King James Version, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? So this is, when, we talk, when we say the word preach, that is an audible communication. That's not necessarily just what people see. It's something that people hear. Okay? We look at Colossians 1, 5 through 6. And it says, in part of, part of five, it says, and that you have already heard the tru- the, about the word of truth. So it's saying the word of truth, which is the gospel. So when we understand what is the gospel, it is the truth. It's not my perception. It's not my interpretation. It is a biblical model of a biblical absolute truth of what the word of God says to be true. But it causes God to be the focus point. Not myself as the focal point, right? And then it goes, goes on to say, it says, and this is how we know that the, the word of truth, the gospel, it says in verse six, it says, that has come to you. It says, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you, this is talking about the church collectively as a whole, um, among you since the day you heard it, so you heard it with your ears through a proclamation of some kind, and you understood it, uh, God's grace in all of its truth. So how do we know if a true, the true gospel is being preached? It bears fruit. If we remove the power, if we remove the effectiveness, and we don't see lives change, we might not be preaching the right gospel. If we're just saying, buddy, it's going to be all right, just give it to the Lord, and you know, he'll, he'll give you wealth, health, and prosperity. Man, there's so much more to it than that. That's a byproduct of who God is. But if I'm chasing after all of the byproducts of what God gives me and I'm not pursuing God as the core of the gospel, I've almost been cheated to a false gospel, right? So we have to ask the question, what is the true gospel? How have I believed it? Did I receive salvation? Because maybe it's valid, but right, maybe it was because I didn't want to go to hell. I got scared into heaven. (laughs) I I got exposed to it and said, man, you know, if you don't receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to go to hell. Oh, I don't want that. Well, how do I prevent that? And even that motive is what? Self-preservation. I don't want to go to hell, so therefore I'm going to believe, rather than being caught in in seeing a glimpse of who God really is and my whole world being wrecked by the goodness of a father that loved me and had a redemptive plan to save my life. And if I received salvation, it would be enough, even if he gave me nothing else. But we have to also understand that, uh, that the benefits of being a child are all the other gifts. And it comes with it. But we focus on the gifts and not on the giver of the gifts. This is the core of of the true gospel. Is it producing fruit? Is it bearing fruit in our life? Is growth happening? Because it should have been happening since the day you heard it. It should be a continual growth process. If you look just like you, like, if you look today just like you did when you first got saved, we need to reevaluate the type of gospel we received. Because we should see progressive changes within our life. Now, sometimes it's our own choices. God will say, put it down, let it go, walk away from it. 
But if you hold it and you don't let go of it and you don't walk away from it, it's gonna be hard for you to change. But as we come into this relationship of God, we should be continually changing. There should be fruit within our life. There, there, should, be, there should be a new kind of fruit in our life. It says those who, are, who do not know the Lord, they produce bad fruit. Those who are, are child of the king, they produce good fruit. You should be known by your fruit. Right? You know, it's, ne- it's, ne- it's never gonna, gonna, it should not be that confusing if you don't see fruit. You know, and that's one thing that, not that I judge people. That's not, our, that's not our job. We are not to judge people. But when I look at fruit in your life or the lack thereof, now I might not say anything, but if I don't see fruit that is alive and good fruit and I'm seeing bad fruit, what does that lean me to believe? Man, this tree is not regenerated. This is not, built, it's not birthing good fruit, right? It's, it's, it's birthing bad fruit. You will be known by your fruit. When we receive the full gospel, the understanding of the gospel, we should bear fruit and we will bear fruit. You know, uh, notice that this gospel, it, it's preached, but it's not forced on anyone. Uh, you know, now there was, thing, there was conditions that were always applied anytime you heard it. Hey, repent, be baptized, believe, turn from your wickedness. There was conditions, but it was always optional. There was many people in the Bible times that just walked away. Jesus was teaching a... a um, uh, having, having, telling a story one time, and it says there were many that were standing around hearing it, and then some heard the message, and it was too hard, and some walked away. Now, that'd be hard for you to do today because we would all see you stand up and walk out. I can't leave till after, but I'm not coming back. One thing I am super concerned about is making sure that we pre- preach, preach a biblical truth. I don't water it down. I don't make it just, hey, I love this. It was so, it was so encouraging. I just want to skip around in great times. There's, there's stuff in Scripture that's like that, but I don't, I don't want to deceive you in just preaching the fun stuff and not preaching the real stuff because it would not produce the growth that God wants in our lives. It would not challenge you to become all that God has called you to be, and I would be failing in my position as the pastor of this church. And personally, I'm going to be held accountable for what I say or don't say or do or don't do. So if you ever get a little bit offended, please don't blame me. I'm accountable to God. Now, I always try to sprinkle it with grace. You know, if you ever get backhanded, I try to put my arm around you quickly and say, it's going to be okay, though. (laughs) Because I think that's what it is. There's stuff in the scripture. I wish I could tear the pages out. Because I don't like it because it it points directly at my heart. It points directly at issues in my life that I am forced to deal with. Like, I don't like that page. Hey, where's page 252? I took it out. I just jumped to 53. I didn't like that page. We can't do that, right? So we have to, we have to, uh, we ha- we have to know that, you know, the word of God is presented to us. It's preached. You know, if we preach the whole gospel and not just a watered down perspective, you know, it will be effective in what it does. I remember when I, when I first was preached the gospel, it was just this easy Christianity, I didn't realize, and maybe the, the people at the time didn't realize where culture was going to go to by the time I hit the ripe age of the age that I'm at. Or it is a little bit harder to stand for Christ nowadays than it was maybe when I was born, you know, 30 plus years ago, right? Oh, just live. Everybody loves God. It's going to be okay. I don't know if everybody understood the type of culture we would be living in. And I think 30 years further down the road, there's no telling what type of culture we're going to going to live in. So we cannot present a gospel as, oh, it's just going to be great. 
You're never going to be, you know, it's going to be easy to live for Christ. You know, there's no, you're never going to be persecuted. You're never going to be looked down on. You're never going to be cursed for your belief. Everybody's going to love you. And I see nothing like that. I see that any time, you know, we, you know the, the world can, preach, uh, can speak forth about anything, all the sinful things in the world, and nobody raises a hand and says, hey, be quiet. Hey, yeah. You get people that rally with them and support those things. The moment you begin to speak about God, there is immediate uprising where people demand that you be silent. And what do we do? Do we just say, all right, well, I don't want to offend anyone. Man, that's the, that's, that's the plan of the enemy. I don't know if we realize it or not. Well, we don't want to offend anybody with what we believe, but they're offending me every day, and they get to talk. Think about this perspective, and that's, that's always mind-boggling. You said, you have the freedom to believe this and this and this. Why do I not have the freedom to stand for Christ and proclaim his goodness to everyone who will hear? But we shrink back. But what we're really committing to when we decide to be a follower of Christ is to be bold and courageous and to not shrink back and to proclaim his goodness to all generations. It says, preach the gospel to all creatures. What about them ones that don't want to hear it? It didn't say the select few. Said you shout it from the mountaintops. And if we preach the, the, the powerful gospel, it will affect and it will change lives. Because people desperately are looking for a type of uh, relationship that we have with the Lord. You know, this whole Christian's, uh, the, the power of the gospel, it talks about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Ephesians 2.1, you know, it says, uh, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So this was before the salvation experience. So we have to realize that a dead man can accomplish nothing. You can, you can accomplish no good thing on your own. You are dead in your sin and transgressions. So the moment that the gospel is preached, a dead man comes to life. All of a sudden, the dead man is resurrected unto new life, you know, where he could do nothing good. He was, he, was, he was geared for sin and destruction and transgressions, and now he has the potential to bear good fruit. And this only happens by the power of the gospel being preached and being received by the individual and life-changing transformation by the power of God. God has to be involved in this whole picture. You know, when we look at the word gospel in the Greek, uh, it's, it's translated as uh, evangelio, which is, the, is where we get the word uh, evangelize, okay? So the, the, word, the Greek word evangelize is where we get the word gospel. So when we talk about evangelizing, that's where the word gospel comes. So usually evangelists are what? Sharing the gospel. So if we break it down a little bit more just to get a little bit more understanding of it. So the word gospel is used 46 times in reference to a good message. Okay, so each of these that I'm going to point to, I feel, feel give us a good understanding of what the intent of the gospel was. So the first translation is a good message. It was referred to 46 times. Then 11 times, it was referred to the gospel of Christ. Then seven times, the gospel of God. Three times, the gospel of the kingdom. And then there's 10 other times that a different, different translations, different meanings were met. But so when we, look, when we look at that, what are the focus points of what the gospel talks about? So the word gospel in the Greek, if we focus on it, it focuses on a good message on Christ, on God, and the kingdom. There's nothing here that focuses on ourselves, which usually is the most focused part on the whole gospel. So I'm challenging us to switch our perspective to what is in it for me versus 
let's show the world who God is. Because conditions are sometimes different. Just because God has gifted me with something or maybe the grace of God, my, you know, the, the cards I were, was dealt was way better than maybe you've experienced. Because then it's conditional, it's situational. Let's say you lost a loved one and God spared a loved one for me. So now my perspective changes because I'm looking at what happens on the backside but not the focus of who God is. And that'll mess, I've, heard, I've seen it mess so many people up. Well, if God is so good, why did he? That has nothing to do with the nature of God. That has to do with the fallen world, sin in the world, and God loves everybody unconditionally. It breaks God's heart when we suffer loss. It's not one of those things that it's just like, ah, you know, that's what he gets. But we think that. Well, maybe that person deserved it. We think of all of these things. Now, we don't say it out loud. Well, maybe, oh, you know, that person, maybe they deserve that, you know, mumbling. Or, oh, yeah, that guy's really a good Christian guy, so I see why that's worked out in his benefit. It's conditional because the focus is on the rewards and the good and the bad things that happen in our life, not who God is. God has to be the focus of everything. So the gospel's purpose is to share the greatest story or message ever told in declaring God, Christ, and the kingdom. So when we, when we approach God with our own needs as the primary focus, we miss the greatness of, of who God is because we're looking at the wrong things. You know, what can God do for me versus who God is? Because when I see who God is, that he loves me and he cares for me and he provides everything that I need, not the things that I want. And that's what those are usually the things we're concerned about, the things we want, not the things that we need. I have clothes on my body. I'm not hungry. I have, I have my basic needs met. But when we, we get mad, when we don't get a promotion to get all these extra things that we want, and God says, what are you doing with the things that you're making now as far as advancing my kingdom, things that are selfless? Your whole motive for building prosperity is for your own benefit. Sorry if I'm shaking some of you this morning. But think about it. Why, why would God want to give you more if you use it for selfish motive? How, how would a salvation experience last for generations and generations if I don't really know who God is? All I was chasing after was the gifts that he gave me. And I have no understanding of who God is. I believe that God will reveal himself in a real way when we pursue him. We pursue a relationship with him, not just what he can do for us. We have to focus on, on, on him, not what, what, what's in it for me. So the gospel focuses on what Christ has accomplished and done and not on any good merit of my own, but solely on the work of God through Christ. So now we're going to start focusing, looking at this, this story unraveling of what God has accomplished here on the earth, right? Have you guys uh, ever been, now, don't lie to me because some of you are like, oh, I never do that. You guys ever mess with your phone when you're stopped at a red light or at a stop sign, you check a text or whatever? Ne who said never? <laughs> That's a good job. Better keep doing that. So the other day, there was four or five cars in front of me, you know, coming, leaving the church right before you get on the main road. I was sitting there messing with my phone and... uh I don't know how long I was looking at my phone, but I'm trying to finish the, finish the text real quick like, or talk to it or whatever so it'll send a text. I throw it down. I look up. All the cars are gone. And it's green. And I'm like, I should go. And as soon as I start going, it turns red. So I'm like, idiot. Like, what are you doing? Like, luckily, nobody was behind me because they would have definitely said, hey, let's go. 
Now, but if they were on their phone also, it wouldn't have mattered. Because we both would have missed the light, right? And maybe I just wanted to go to the next light. I wasn't worried about that one anyway. I wasn't in no hurry, right? We're never in a hurry. But what happened? I was distracted from my main priority and my main focus, which was what? Drive safely. Don't kill no one today, right? You know, which I wasn't going anywhere, so that's how I justified it. But I wasn't paying attention. I was distracted by my cellular device and whatever text I was, send, you know, was sending at that moment. You know, uh, but we can be so distracted you know, with what's right in front of us, you know, and, and how, I'm, how I'm tying this in, we can be so distracted on our, on our, on our wants and these things that we, we desire, these things that we deem as good, as blessings of God, that we miss the whole big picture. We miss all of it because we're distracted and that wasn't the point. And then we find ourselves like, oh, you know, man, what, I, you know, I got to go, you know, distracted, right? So what God wants to do, he really wants to reveal who he is. So the gospel, it is the good news about God's plan to redeem the world. You know, uh, I've heard people say, which, I mean, I think people's relationship with God can be really, really close. But have you ever heard the saying, oh, I'm God's favorite? Ever heard that? I'm God's favorite. He has my picture on his fridge. I don't know if he has a fridge or not, but, you know, he, I'm his, I, you know, like prime spot right in the middle, man. You're somewhere on the back. You don't even, you don't even get the front <laughs> VIP spot, right? Think of this perspective. Think of how, if you have children, think of your love for your children as a whole. Can you love one more than the other? Is one worth more dying for than the other ones? Not really, right? I couldn't pick. I say, just take me. I can't pick one or the other. Now, there's certain days as parents, we might say, hey, yeah, Lord, take this one. <laughs> just the reality, the flesh is there. We're just frustrated out of our mind. But in reality, when it comes down like, and thank God that God is perfect and we're not and God's in control of all of this. Because if it was up to us, we would mess all kinds of stuff up. We'd have a bad day and... You know, I think if God, God would have a bad day, he would just flick the earth and half the earth would die. You know, think of it, but God is perfect, right? There is nothing, you know, you know but we think of this perspective of when we say these things, it is presenting an our, our own understanding of who we think God is. God is a God that can do whatever he wants at any time that he sees necessary, but he is, he is bound to the confines of what is written in his word, he never violates his word. So if you really want to understand who God is, you got to get in the word of God. You know, don't base it just on your situations because if you have a bad day, guess what? You're going to think God is bad that day. Well, God, I thought he had it all together and I had a bad day, so I guess big bad God up there doesn't like me. Well, let's say you got blessed. You got a promotion. Everything's been going good. You know, things have been good for you. Oh, well, God's an awesome God, man. He provides everything I have need of. Next day you get fired. Oh, what the heck, Lord? You know, like, I thought you, you know, this misconception of who we think God is by just the circumstances of life that we live in, the hard things, the hardship that we go through. It says in the word that we will be hard-pressed, but not crushed, persecuted, but not abandoned. Nobody wants persecution. Nobody wants to be hard-pressed on every side, on the brink of feeling like you have destruction in your life. But if I preach you a one-sided gospel, you'll think that. 
The disciples counted it a privilege when they suffered persecution for, for Christ's sake. They rejoiced in it. You know, some of us are like, you can have it, buddy. You take the turn. I don't want none of that because we're missing the point. God, whatever it takes to glorify the Father through the price of the Son. So when we talk about the gospel, it involves God's specific plan unfolding as it's fulfilled in the prophecies. All all through the Old Testament, you see stories of what was to come. You saw when Jesus came, you know, there was people asking, could this... Does it just so happen that this could be the one that the prophecies foretold? Born out of Bethlehem. I just learned, and I hope this is accurate because I'm going to quote one of my pastor friends that said it, right? But he said that there was actually two Bethlehems. There was one in the north and there was one in the south. One was a little bit more prosper, you know, prosperity driven and everyone knew about it. So I guess it would be like how people say Baytown and Bay City. <laughs> like, oh, Baytown. No, it's not Baytown. It's Bay City. Oh, well, where's that? Right there by the coast, baby, right? You know, it's just in a different location where we get it mixed up. But this Bethlehem was just a, it was not anything significant, right? But we see all these prophetic words that led to what the gospel has unfolded to. They even asked, perhaps this is, this is where that the prophecies foretold. You know, so we, you know th- so we begin to see this unraveling of all of these things in the New Testament, all of these things unraveling in the power of the gospel. You know, that, that you know, Scripture show, shows us and tells us that there was a plan to save the world by providing an ultimate penance for sin, a sacrifice for our sins. You know, Jesus was the backup plan, you know, because when, when sin was lost, you know, man, they were, you know, sacrificing goats, all of these things to, to, to resolve the, the right standing with God. And there was a backup plan, and the backup plan was Jesus. It wasn't like sin happened and God was like, man, I wonder what the heck we're going to do now. And they sat up there, you know, flabbergasted and confused, not knowing what the next step was. God sees the beginning from the end. He is not caught off guard. But we think we got to have the understanding of who God is. He knows everything. And, you know, I try, it boggles my mind. It's like, because the next one, well, if God knew that was going to happen, how come he didn't stop it? Well, God gives free will. He allows us to, be, to make good choices and bad choices. Any, can I get any amens there? Good choices and bad choices. He gives us the freedom to choose. But he works all of these things according to his purpose and his strategic plan. So I don't know if it was he saw the beginning from the end. He said, hey, this kind of works towards the peace of the prophecy. And he's, you know, he, he intertwined it and then he worked it out. And we see so much consistency between the Old Testament and the fulfillment in the New Testament. Where to me, you have to see the whole picture to be able to do that. You can't be blind to the future and, and, and get the present right. You have to have seen the whole thing where you're weaving this whole plot together. So we see this story unfolding of where, where God has this ultimate plan. Right, John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So who, who, was, who was talking here? Jesus. He was saying, nobody comes to the Father except through me. So do you think Jesus understood the plan also? Absolutely. He wasn't like, well, I don't know. Talk to my dad. He knows everything. No, he understood. You know, I really think God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the three in one, were all sitting together and said, okay, here's what's going to happen. Here's how it's going to play out. How in the world are we going to fix it? Because we are so concerned about relationship and restoring what was lost. How do we do it when these dang humans mess it all up? Because he had a plan. It wasn't like, well, I'm just, we're going to wait and we're going to figure it out. God had a plan from beginning to end. 
He is God. He is way smarter than all of us collectively put together in this room. Even God's ignorance is better than ours. If there's ignorance. Like, think about that. You know, like, I start thinking these concepts of who God is, and it, it, you, can't, you can't understand it. He's bigger than our understanding. He's more powerful than you can ever imagine. He spoke things into existence. He grabbed his thumb and went like that and made a mountain. Like, think about all these concepts that will blow your mind in the vastness of who God is. And this is the God we serve. This is the power of the gospel. This same person who would call us friend. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. So what is this talking about? Man, this is talking about there is nothing that I can do within my own strength to deserve this. It is a free gift of God through faith, right? It's something that God has offered to all of us. And the biggest thing about sharing the gospel is that we make people realize the gift that is available. Sometimes we don't know that that gift is available and therefore we reject it and we, we look, for, look somewhere else to find satisfaction when all, all, the whole time where God had this perfect gift available to us, right? But it's not by anything that I do. It's not by any merit of my own. I used that scripture previously. We were dead in our sin and transgressions. What can a dead man do? Nothing. It's only by the grace of God impacting our lives, changing us, bringing something that was dead to life again. There's a quote by Lou Giglio. It's super powerful. This is what it says. It says, if you're telling yourself you don't deserve a second chance from God, which maybe some of you are this morning, remind yourself that you didn't deserve the first one either. Because think about it. When I first received salvation, I was a sinner. I was deserving of hell and death. And then God's power just was given to me. That free gift was given to me. What the enemy of this world wants you to believe is that you have messed it up so much that you can't receive it again. Well, I was in the same exact spot. I was a dead man. At least now I'm alive and have the ability to live under righteousness. But the enemy wants to dig that hole and throw you back in the grave and say, stay there. Don't allow him to do that. He wants to kill what was resurrected. But what God breathes life into, it'll have life and it'll have life more abundantly. You will not be able to remain silent. There will be fruit in your life and you will live. You deserve second chances. So let's look at what what the gospel should cover. I'm just going to give you guys a really uh, snapshot uh, ingredient list, if I I can put it that way, as far as what the gospel should focus on and what points when we talk about what is the gospel. So we're going to first look at grace. So the word grace, it's, it's giving us what we do not deserve. We all know what we deserve, right? Yeah, you know what you deserve? Because if not, you need to start there. You have to realize that you are deserving of death, that you have sinned and violated from the womb God's law. And if there is sin in your life, you deserve death, okay? We have to understand the position that we are at, that there's nothing we can do, but God has given us grace. So it's, it's not giving us what we do deserve. So we have to understand that grace, what is it? It is, a, it is, it is heaven. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a free gift to us. It is not earned or deserved, Well, that's a pretty awesome gift. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it, 
right on. You ever done that to your children? You don't earn it. You didn't earn this. You don't deserve this. I guess I'll give it to you anyway. That's what being a good parent. And thank God that God is the awesomest father ever. Now, I've seen some parents like, I ain't going to give it to you and you don't deserve it. It's usually a pretty cruddy birthday. But our father, God, doesn't do that. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Not deserving of it, but yet gives it to us. So grace has to be a part of the gospel. We have to realize man's state, right? That, that, that I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. You cannot save yourself. I've heard a lot of people, you know, uh, one of the biggest questions you ask is like, hey, you know, if you died right now, why, sh- why should God let you into heaven? What do they say? Helped a lot of people. I did a lot of good things. You know, I went to church as often as I could. And then what is the Lord's response to that? Away from me, you evildoer and sinner. I did not what? Know you. But God is very clear in his scripture. It's not by works. It's not by anything that any man can boast. It is a free gift, but we have to understand we are a sinner. We cannot save ourselves. Romans 3, 23 through 24. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely. Freely, that means no charge by his grace. This is, this is God's grace alone through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There's no, nothing in here that says, no, we earned it, deserved it, and he's gonna, he has a free ticket to heaven. By my, by my, what I've done in this lifetime, it's only by grace, through faith in Christ alone. So we have to realize the grace of God. We have to understand the fallen state of man. And then we got, have to have an understanding of who God is. And I think we've kind of hammered this out a little bit. We have to understand that, you know, he technically can do whatever he wants, but he never contradicts or violates his word. So two facets that we have to understand. First and foremost, that he is merciful. So what does that mean? Being merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He shows mercy, right? He, does, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He's merciful. So what everybody wants is a one-sided God that does not give the whole world what, he des- what they deserve. They want just a merciful God. Well, why would God do that? Shouldn't he be merciful they see one facet of who God is, and they want to see God only in that light. Well, God wouldn't have taken my son if he was merciful. God wouldn't have done this and this and this if he was merciful, but that's just one part of it. He is merciful, and you know, he doesn't want to punish us. We have to realize that's what mercy is, in, in its, but the other facet is that God is just. So when God is just, what does that mean? That means that he must punish sin. You can't have just a God of mercy and, and not a God of justice. You have to have, you have, to have that balance. Man, he does, his heart, he desires that all, you know, when, he spread, when Jesus spread his arms left and right and, you know, as far as he could, crown of thorns, blood was flowing down, man, he had every single one of us in his mind. And he desired that all would be saved. He didn't, he withheld nothing. There was nothing that he withheld from us. He did a completed work. Why? Because he was merciful. But there was conditions in his word where God is also just, where therefore he must punish sin. 
But he didn't leave us in our sinful state. This is the greatest testimony of the gospel. He didn't leave us in our fallen state apart from redemption, but he provided a price and a, and a payment for our sin, restitution through, the son, through Jesus Christ. And that's the next, next point we got to look at. We got to understand who Christ is. You know, he, he, is, he is God's one and only son. You know, we got to understand that he was all God and he was all man. You know, some people think that he was not this, you know, oh, it was something special. He lived in the flesh. It said that he sympathized with us. He, he struggled. He, he dealt. He didn't sin. He was sinless. You guys, under, you believe that? It's scriptural. He was sinless. He was the perfect spotless uh, sacrifice. But yet he, he dealt with every temptation that we dealt with. He just lived the perfect life of what the heck it was supposed to look like. He was a pure spotless lamb led to the slaughter for the sins of the world. You know, he purchased our sins and he purchased a place in heaven which he offers to us as a free gift that we may receive by faith. We look at John 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and, and the word was God, the word, and in verse four, if we look at verse 14, it gives us an explanation. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So who is he talking about? Who is the word? All right, I'm, I'm trying to teach you a little bit here, right? If you, if you say, well, how, how do you prove that they were all together? Well, they were here, they were all together. You know, it says at the beginning, the spirit of God hovered over the face of the earth before creation happened. Well, was this God hovering? Nope. Was it Jesus hovering? Nope. I think it was the Holy Spirit hovering. He was the only spirit being of the equation. So it's making sure that we have a, a good understanding of who God is, who Jesus was, and who the Holy Spirit was, right? But it talks about here, talking about Jesus was the one that came. He made his dwelling among us in the flesh. He became flesh. John three sixteen. we all know this one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. And I never like to stop there. I look at verse 17 also. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I kind of get irked a little bit when we stop and we don't add verse 17 also because I think it paints the rest of the picture as far as God's heart. It answers the why. He didn't come to be a bad God. He come to save the world because he knew that we were in need of a savior. Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Matthew 5, 48, it says, be perfect, therefore your heavenly father is perfect. It's a pretty hard scripture, right? Be perfect? How in the world can I be perfect? Seems almost impossible, right? So being perfect is completely impossible unless there is a perfect sacrifice available and God knew this. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice for a fallen world in need of a savior. You know, he, his, his blood spilled on the cross allowed us to be seen as spotless in the eyes of God when we receive Christ. We gotta understand that's what, that's what God was talking about. He says, be perfect as I'm perfect. The only way to be perfect is to receive this Lord and savior that I'm telling you about this morning. Releasing the power of the gospel, the ability to become all that God has called us to be, to be spotless, to be the bride of Christ, to co-labor with Christ, to be called a son, to be called a daughter, to count it a privilege when hard times stricken my life if God is glorified in that moment. 
This is the power of the gospel. It's not this watered down, oh, well, you ain't got to go to hell, and it's going to be great. There's so much more to that, that God wanted us to see who he was. The last thing that we have to make sure we apply is faith when we look at the gospel. So what is faith not? It's not mere intellect, you know, or it's not temporal faith. It's not something that we just think about or we, we have faith just for a moment, right? But what it is is trusting in, in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It's that continuance of, uh, of trusting in who he is. Acts 4.12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven given to man by which, man, uh, in which, by which we can be saved. Jesus Christ was the only way. The only way. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You guys ever seen God? I haven't. Did you, see, did you see Jesus nailed to the cross? I didn't. But through faith, we can believe it to be so. How do I know that it's real? Because I have seen the power of the gospel completely transform my life. But I don't think it just stops here with Noe, but if we look to our left and we look to our right, we begin to see many, many people whose lives have been completely transformed by the power of the gospel. And it was all about what God did and what God is accomplishing in and through us. And it wasn't anything that we were deserving of. So forgiveness and justification to God is just the first step because God desires us to continually become more and more Christ-like. You know, the power of, God, of the gospel is released, is releasing the power of God in our lives that causes salvation for everyone who believes. It's what God offers. It's who God is. It's what God does. You know, the gospel is what God uses to, to declare to the world the goodness of who he is and the wonderful redemption plan that he has for you and I. So when we testify what the Lord has done in our lives, you know, that sharing the testimony of, you know, what, you know, what has, it, it, causes, it causes us to glorify the Father. Revelations 12, 11. It says, they overcame him. This is talking about the devil and all these things, end time stuff, but it says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, which is who? Jesus Christ alone, and by the word of their testimony. In order for you to testify, words have to come forth out of your mouth. Some people say, oh, well, they'll just see it in my lifestyle. Well, they can, but the power of the gospel is more effective when it is preached, when it is communicated, when you are testifying what the Lord has done in your life. So whenever we focus on the gospel, man, let's make sure it is God-focused, Christ-centered, and Holy Spirit-inspired. Let's not preach a gospel that's all about me and what I can get. All of those are byproducts. You can't separate those, but those are byproduct things. Don't share the gospel and be like, hey, man, you want to get deal with that sin and get right and everything to be good? Don't do that. You diminish the power of the gospel. Tell this whole awesome story about a God that saved the world through his son, Jesus Christ, and the gift that he can give to a fallen world. Well, is he able to help me with this? Absolutely, because that's the kind of God we serve. 
Not because that's all he is. is just a healer, just a deliverer, but because he is God, creator of heaven and earth. Because if we limit God in initially, we'll probably limit our understanding of God for a lifetime. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.